there's this phrase that it's kind of a cliche that we use that, that we say familiarity breeds contempt. And I want to challenge you this morning that the empty tomb, when I read those verses from Matthew 28, the empty tomb is something that's become familiar to us. For those of us who've known the Lord, who've known his word, that we've read that story before, and, and it may be tired for you. It, it may be a historical event that, but I just want you to catch as we, this morning we're going to focus in on, on this fact that hope is found in an empty tomb. It doesn't make any sense, does it? But hope is found in an empty tomb. And Mary Magdalene, when she turned that corner and she's anticipating, how are we going to get that stone to move so we can care for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that she watched with her own eyes broken, shattered for her sake, that when she turned that corner and she saw that stone removed and the angel just sitting on the top, I just love that image of the angel just sitting on top of the stone. You understand what God was saying there? I got this. I got this. There's nothing too big for me. There's nothing that's greater than what I can handle. And so this morning, I want to just ask you to just take a moment. You can even keep, it's okay to keep your eyes open during prayer. Somebody told me that once. But I want to just invite you to just take a minute and just be in awe of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that the God that we've come together this morning to praise has the keys of death in his hands, that he can turn and change what was dead and bring it to life. So when we shout Hosanna, we're declaring him to be the Messiah, the King, our Lord. And this morning, I pray that this, this time that we have together is very personal, <laughs> that the familiarity of the story of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not something that you've allowed yourself to become dull to, but instead that it is the word of life this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this morning. And I just thank you for the, the birds chirping in the background, the, the planes in the sky, just, just allowing us to stand back and to just declare your glory. You're worthy of our praise. Lord, you're good. You know us perfectly. And I pray this Easter morning as we've gathered together, we've done so in your name. And Lord, this morning, we recognize that because of the resurrection, we have hope. Because of an empty tomb, we can find ourselves trusting in the fact that someday, for those of us who've placed our faith and trust in you, that someday we can anticipate our own physical resurrection from the dead. We thank you and praise you for that hope. It's a living hope. And we thank you and praise you for that. And I pray this morning as we turn our minds and our hearts to your word that you would reveal to us truths that maybe we've seen before but we've never really listened to, that we've observed but we've never maybe stood in awe of. And I just thank you for these precious women that, that ran to that grave that morning not knowing what to expect, but in, in what they received was an affirmation of your goodness and Lord, I thank you for the response that was both one of fear and awe, but also one of great joy. 
So this morning we declare joy in the city of Brunswick. We declare joy in the city of Strongsville and Medina County, the, the cities that surround. We pray that your name would be lifted high. As we shout Hosanna, Jesus, he saves. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to welcome you to Hope Church. Um, if you're visiting us, we do let you go inside sometimes. Uh, but uh, this morning, we wanted to experience the uniqueness of praising the Lord together outside. I want to say thank you to tech team and Pastor Jim and others who have led us in worship, set up things early this morning. Now, I want to ask you to join me in remembering a time where you lost something that was precious to you. Now, I think we've all lost our keys. I'm not talking about like things like the Easter egg that you found when you went to hide more Easter eggs from the year before. Anybody had that experience? Uh, or I'm not talking about the golf ball that, you, you know, there, there's things we lose that don't really matter that much, right? I want you to think about something that you lost. You know this feeling when your heart starts to race, right? It might be your keys right before the appointment or your passport in the minutes before you're expecting to take that international flight. You guys, are you guys awake? You guys know what I'm talking Some of you are like, okay, I get it. I, I'm, if I press into it, some of you really know the, the wedding ring that falls down the sink and you go, oh no, what have I done, right? That, that, that emotion. And there's this phrase that describes the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was, do you remember what it is? That which was lost. My, my dad tells this great story of, he, he played basketball at Taylor University in Indiana. Some of you may be familiar that, you may know that in, in Indiana, they care about basketball about as much as we care about football in Ohio, right? And uh, my dad was in a game, he was playing, I, my dad, I'm, I'm told he's a little bit taller than me, the killer, like Skyhook, and I'm sure he was like in the middle of one of those moves, and he took a finger to an eye, and um, that eye happened to have inside of it a hard lens contact, and that contact fell out of his eye. And uh, he tells the story of how he, he, he made everybody stop, right, in the middle of the, the game. And they're all looking for my dad's contact. My dad grew up in a time for a single-parent home. I mean, everything mattered. He paid his way through college. And I know for my dad, it wasn't just, I want to be able to see to finish the game. But for my dad, I'm guessing that it was also that, that he was thinking about the cost. I mean, this thing, it's stupid little piece of glass, right? But it was precious to him. And my dad goes on to tell the story that the officials finally got fed up with him. They, they sent him back in, you know, to the game. Hey, we got to resume the game. And, and so after the game, my dad asked them where they take the stuff that they sweep up after the game. You, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And, and he found the trash can and he proceeded to dig through the trash can to find what he found was a glass contact I'm sure he kind of blew it off a little bit, stuck it in his eye, right? I'm sure he, at that moment he hoped it was his, right? And, and, and at that moment he realized that he'd found what was lost, right? Then I want to remind you that, that with Easter, as we celebrate the Lord's word together, as we honor him, as we celebrate this, that the cross represents the culmination of the Lord doing something that was so essential for us. And that is that he was seeking to save that which was lost. 
And that lost piece of that puzzle was each one of us. I know it's kind of an offensive thing to say, but that lost piece of the puzzle was, was each and every person that's ever breathed air into their lungs. And I want to ask you to join me, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, the verses that I read just a few minutes ago. And I want you to look at these words together with me again. I want to walk through them with you because I, I think it helps us to understand as we see the response to the resurrection, what our appropriate response to the resurrection might be. And I, I remember hearing a sermon by Chuck Swindoll when I was just a boy about the resurrection and how important it is. And I just want you to hear this, this statement from him before we study God's word together in Matthew 28. He says, the benefits of the resurrection are innumerable. Our illnesses don't seem nearly so final. Our fears fade and lose their grip. Our grief over those who have gone on is diminished. Our desires to press in on in spite of the obstacles is rejuvenated. Our identity as Christ followers is strengthened as we stand in the lengthening shadows of saints down through the centuries. What a great phrase. It's not as painful when we understand that this is all temporary and that the Lord is going to restore it all, right? And so today, as we open our Bibles to Matthew 28, I want you to see the experience of one individual, one of those saints who we stand under the shadow of those who've gone before us, Mary Magdalene. And she was not the only Mary there that day. In fact, through the Synoptic Gospels, we believe there were four Marys there that day. There was Mary, who was this woman who... We don't know that much about her, but she's referenced in scripture almost as much as any of the disciples. And here she is a woman who's following Christ. She's learning from him. We're told that there were seven demons that were cast out of her at some stage in her life. And while we don't know the details of that, what we know is that she found her hope in Christ, right? And so she is a worshiper of Christ. Some of the other Marys that were there that morning, one of them was the Mary that was the sister of Lazarus, the sister of Martha, who was the Mary who got to watch God raise her brother from the dead. How great is that? So she knew he had the keys of victory over death. The, the other Mary, the mother of James, there's others too that are there. They're, they're running to the tomb. And as they're going to the tomb, what we're told from the book of Mark is that, is that they're, they're thinking about how are we going to remove that stone? Like they might have watched the soldiers after they put the crushed body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after Jesus's body was originally put in that tomb, they would have known that this tragic thing happened. How are we going to remove the tomb so we can carry our spices to care for that dead body? That's the context, right? We, we don't know what's going on. We're unsettled. And then this is what the scripture says in Matthew chapter 28, verse one. It says, now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, now just because there's two mentioned here doesn't mean that there weren't more, that they came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, 
For an angel of the, the, the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I don't know why that sat on it part just makes me so happy. But there's this picture. I don't know if it's like he's just sitting like drinking like, you know, some tea or something. Like just, he's, just, he's just there. And I just love the image of the fact that God is saying to these precious women, I got it. Like it's, I got this under control. But this isn't bigger than me. Today, when we go through this message, towards the end of this message, I'm going to ask you a question that is a very personal one. And that is, is that there have been people who've been exposed to the truth of the resurrected Lord and have chosen to allow it to just be a story for them. But there's some that have responded to it. They've said, yes, I understand this. And there's this kind of image that I have in my mind of a line. And, and that line is one that, that I think for many of us, we like the idea of knowing that Jesus existed, but the idea that he chose to die so that we can place our faith and trust in him in such a way that everything changes in our life. We, we want to stay on one side of it, but the idea is that he wants to move us to a point where we can completely trust him. I've shared this story before, but it's so many. We, we were on vacation last few weeks, and I was at a rental car counter. And every time I go to a rental car counter, I have the same rem memory experience of a time when I was flying back with a bunch of people. We were on a short-term missions trip. We were coming back after we had uh, had an incredible time. And as we were flying back, it was a large group. I think it was like 50 people. I received the notification that about 15 members of our team, uh, maybe a little less than that, maybe a dozen, had um, had our flights canceled. And it was during a time period when the computers with one of the airlines had all gone down. And so literally uh, everybody was stuck. Uh, those 12, we couldn't get new tickets. They said, well, yeah, we can rebook you a week later. Thanks a lot, right? So we're stuck, I believe, in Charlotte. Um, in the Carolinas, and a number of the team members had things that they expected to be at the next day. One had a very sick parent, and so they looked at me as the team leader, like, hey, what are you going to do about it? And so uh, I remember going to the rental car counter, and I didn't realize this because we had been overseas, but for about two weeks, they had this issue with the computers, and so literally there were no cars, no rental cars. My thought was that we'd rent a car, and we'd drive back to Ohio, no rental cars, no rental cars. And um, each count, they almost made fun of me when I went to the car, like, don't you know, right? Like, it's Alamo. Come on, give me a rental car, please. And, and so finally, I just decided, hey, I'm going to go actually up to the place where the cars are supposed to be kept just to see maybe if there's just one of them up there. And as I'm walking up there, I just had one of those conversations with the Lord. I hope you have these, but had one of those conversations with the Lord where I was just like, Lord, we just really need you to figure this out. Can you help me figure this out? And there was just a sense, a really clear sense in my mind of the Lord just saying, I, like, buddy, I got this. I don't know why God, when he talks to me, he calls me buddy, but, uh, um, but, but hey, hey, I, I got this, right? And, and I remember walking up to that counter and just thinking, like, he does. And, and in my mind, it was a 15-passenger van, and I made it to the counter, and this, this young woman was there, and I said, I, I believe you have a car for me. And she said, you know what, you won't believe this, but we actually do. We have a, a minivan. And uh, some of you are going to make fun of me for this, but I was like, well, actually, um, I, I need a 15-passenger van, right? <laughs> And she said, you know what, I, I, I actually just got one in a few minutes ago. And, 
And this might mean nothing to you. You guys might have your own version of this. I hope you do. But my guess for Mary Magdalene and those other women that morning, that that moment for them when they realized that the Lord had the stone rolled back, that, that he is a promise-keeping God, right? That he's faithful, that there's no rock that's too big for him. There's no circumstance that's bigger than what he can handle. And so the angel sitting in its, in its radiance and its glory on the top of the tomb it's just, I think it's one of those little exclamation points that God does to show us that he's good. It says his appearance, the angel was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. That's a fascinating statement in scripture. Matthew Henry says, um, in, in reference to the resurrection of Christ, he says it's the joy of his friends so it is the terror and confusion of his enemies. Isn't that a fascinating statement? So what is it for you? When you think of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, does it give you hope? Does it challenge you to think differently about the way that you understand the God of the universe? Verse five, it goes on to say, but the angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He knows that they were there, he watched this happen, this angel. He knows that these Marys were faithful to the Lord. And then he goes on to say, he is not here for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Just want to remind you this morning that you can take God at his word. That when he says he's going to do something, when he says he's going to be faithful, when he says that he's the author and perfecter of your faith, that he's a God who can be trusted. And so I love that their initial response in verse eight was they departed quickly from the tomb with both fear and great joy. Can you imagine the emotions they experienced? And they ran to tell his disciples just as they had been told to. And behold, Jesus met them and he said, greetings. Now, when, when I pick, can you picture anything but a giant smile on the Lord Jesus's face as he sings, greetings. Can you, can you imagine the, the surge of emotions? And it says, and they came up, they took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. Uh, I said this before, but that's the correct response to the resurrection. That is the correct response to understanding that that empty tomb is the fulfillment of the promises of God. It's kind of interesting to think some of you have crosses that you're wearing right now. And the empty tomb would be just as meaningful of a symbol to a Christ follower. I've never seen someone with an empty tomb, uh, you know, necklace uh, or piece of jewelry. But, but as Christ followers, that empty tomb reminds us not only of the fact that he died, but that he rose from the grave. And it leads us to a point that is very important this morning. And that is what is lost can be found. Isn't that great? that God's really good at lost and found, right? What is lost can be found. And it's fascinating to me to think of one of those men that watched this all happen, Peter, the man who would pin these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Turn over with me to these verses. They're so good. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again 
to a living hope. It's awesome. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. There's a lot of dead hope things that are in the world that we live in. I want you to think about those non-Christian religious leaders that are dead. Confucius, Gandhi, Muhammad, Abraham. You can pick your dead leader. And unfortunately, there's some that, that have forgotten the fact that their story ended at some point in history. But the Lord Jesus continues on. For some, one of those dead hopes is an enlightenment. We use that word in an interesting way. There's some that even talk about religious enlightenment moving beyond the truth of scripture in their lives. And I'll just remind you that the world will, will not constantly improve because of our ability to understand the circumstances around us. That's not how it's proven to work. It's a dead hope. Some it's wealth, for some it's power, it's pleasure. These are all temporary things that overpromise and underdeliver. But I'll tell you this morning that I personally put my hope in the God who holds the keys over sin and death. I'm not ashamed to say that. I, I, I trust him in that way. And I, I can't help but, but, but recognize this morning, we studied these words, we're going to study them together in the near future. In, First Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 14, it says, He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We declare the fact that his resurrection allows us to anticipate our resurrection. So, so those words that I read a few minutes ago about the living hope were written by the apostle Peter. A man who just days before this would have said these words to the Lord Jesus. He says, says this in scripture in Mark 14. He said emphatically, if I must die with you to Jesus, I will not deny you. That's what he said about the cross. So, so Peter is standing here and he's saying, Lord, whatever happens, I'm going to stand with you. And you remember the story that the Lord told him he's going to deny him before the rooster crows. Remember this? And, and I, I'm so fascinated by the fact that it was just 40 verses later that, that at the hands of a little girl that was looking at Peter and saying, hey, weren't you one of those people with Jesus? That, that he, he says, I, I want to stay safe. I want to be on this side of things. I want to have it on my own way. And he, he, it says that he cusses, uh, he curses, and then uh, he, he says, I have no idea what you're talking about. In other words, he doesn't want to, he wants to know about Jesus, but he's not ready to be all in when it comes to trusting in Jesus. But you know what's great about the man who penned those words? <laughs> is that even though we can read the fact that he would say, I don't know this man of whom you speak, that he said those horrific words, I, uh, and then immediately the rooster crowed a second time, that that's the, si the same man who's going to be able to append these words about the blessed hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that God is in the redemption business, aren't you? Uh, I'm so glad that the Lord is good at allowing us to take those mistakes. Some of you who play golf, you know what a mulligan is. Do you guys know? Like it's, a, it's the uh, like, oops, I screwed up. I'm going to take another ball. I'm going to do this again. I, um, it's funny that some of you are under this tent. We had a great team that helped put this tent uh, up yesterday. It was really a fun time. 
But last year, um, when we put up the tent, there's no instructions that came with it, and so we reached out to someone locally. We found out to own the tents, it was cheaper than to um, rent them, but that meant we put them up ourselves. And so one of the things they said was, make sure you take them down in October. Um, and I'm like a perpetual optimist, I'll just be honest. And um, nobody else is like that. I'm the only one, okay? So, so it was like October. I'm like, yeah, the weather's nice and it's good. And I can remember one Sunday morning after, after preaching, I'm walking out and I can see the other tent. We'd put one up for baptism service. Some of you participated in that. It was a great time. But I remember as I'm walking over to the, my car, which parked in front of the church offices, I remember looking back at the tent. And I don't know, I, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or if it was just like my, like just the smart part of me, but it was like, hey, you need to take that thing down. You know, it's windy. And some of you may remember this day, um, but I remember the other part of me said, oh, but I really wanted to go watch the Browns play because they were playing that afternoon. And so see the tent, it's kind of blowing a little bit in the wind, but I'm going to go watch the Browns. They, they lost that day. And uh, we ended up getting several inches of snow that night. And some kind person from our church family uh, called me up and they said, hey, did you know that your tent has blown like 100 yards? And so my sweet little daughter, my, my baby Capri, she and I came out and grab the bits and pieces of the other tent. And as we're doing this, I'm just thinking like, I knew better, right? I, I knew better. Like there was that part of me that, that said, I, I shouldn't, I should fix this. I should, but I decided to do what I wanted to do, right? And for every one of us that's here this morning, we have some version of that in our life. I know you do where you've had an experience where you've said, I shouldn't, but you do it anyways. You've ignored um, whether it's the clear truth of God's word, you've chosen to just say, I, I want to do it my way. Can we agree to that, that we do this? And, and yet, uh, in the midst of that process, what I'm so thankful for is the mulligan that the Lord offers Peter is the mulligan that he offers every single one of us. And it wasn't a free one, by the way. Like the, the cost of that redo, the cost of the opportunity for redemption was extremely high. But the end result would allow the apostle Peter to say these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. After he declared the living hope, a, a second point this morning is that in death, we can find life. In death, we can find life. He said this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to be result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's faith was tested. He, he messed up. He failed. He, this was the man who jumped out of the boat previously. He'd obeyed God at other times, but at that stage in his life, he chose to hide. But he goes on to, to declare and to celebrate you, 
I want you to hear this. For those of you who are believers, he describes you this way. He says, though you have not seen him, you still love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, Mary was given the privilege to see the empty tomb. Not, not, none of us in this um, outside here have had that privilege, right? We, we know that it was true. It's been passed on to us from generation to generation. But here, Peter describes those of us who haven't seen it firsthand, but he says it's worth it. He says we can obey him. We can follow his leadership. We can trust him. So I'll remind you two very simple points this morning. The first was that... that that the, not just our hope can be found in an empty tomb, but what is lost can be found. In death, you and I can find life. It's a counterintuitive truth. But what Peter describes here is a statement of what it means for us to respond to the Lord. In the book of Joshua, chapter 24, 14, he says this. He says, "'Choose this day whom you will serve.'" Uh, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's an incredible statement, isn't it? So, so on this Easter morning, don't worry, I'm going to end soon. Some of you are like, I'm cold, Sean. Let's go. Um, but uh, the, uh, I, I want to um, tell you a story. This is a story that um, they're not sure how historical this event was, but I, I, uh, some of you know we lived in Texas for four years, and in Texas, they love the Alamo. It's a big deal. And um, the, uh, the Alamo, one of the stories that came out of the Alamo is that there were about 150 soldiers that were there that had uh, garrisoned inside of the historical Alamo buildings that were at one time a mission and some of you know the story um, that ultimately Santa Ana, who was the president of Mexico at the time, but also a general, brought in uh, over a thousand troops, and they came in. And over a 15-day time period, there was a siege, and, and literally all of the soldiers that were inside the Alamo died. Um, but it would ultimately lead to the independence of of the Texians. That's the way they said it in those days. The Texans. Um, that would become a state that we know of. But one of the stories that came out of that is that um, there was uh, one of the generals that uh, stood before those soldiers knowing that they were up knowing that they were about to die. And he, um, they say that he took his sword out and that there was a time period when he drew a line in the sand. And basically he said to them, I, I want you to cross it if you're ready to die. <laughs> uh, and if you're not, then, then don't join us. Actually, there's a story of one man who chose not to cross the line that day. And uh, later on, he became a butcher in the community and he'd tell a story about how he said, literally, I wasn't ready to die. But for the others, they made that step and you guys know the history and the story um, that goes behind it. Um, but I think that for the Lord Jesus Christ in a day that we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's a really good day for us to understand what the Lord has asked of us. When he says, if you would follow me, 
You must deny yourself, take up your cross, which is kind of a morbid statement, right? Take up your cross and follow me. In other words, you cannot be on the side of trusting me with your life and stay having life on your own terms. So Peter, when he chose to deny Christ on that incredible morning, one of the things that he was choosing to do is he's like, I kind of want to be in both places. I want to I I I have myself on one side of the line or the other. And, and the Lord doesn't really give us that privilege. In fact, what he asks of us is for us to entrust our lives into his care completely. I hope you've experienced that in your life. I, I will tell you that for me, that story of the car rental place, I, I hope that you have your own versions of that. That's one of, of hundreds of stories in my life where I've had to just stand back and be like, it's bigger than me. I, I can't handle this. This is, this is more than what I have the natural capacity to, to deal with. But, but instead of saying, I'm going to deny Christ, instead, what I've chosen to do is to say, I'm all in. Let's go. Lord, I trust you. You, you take care of us. You know our needs more than what we do. Lord, you, you're good. I trust you that you're a promise-keeping God. And, and what that leads into, and this is what we're going to do together. I'm going to pray for us. And that, what that leads into is it leads into us having the ability to, to worship him, right? It leads us into having the ability to say, Lord, I'm, I'm all in. I trust you. I'm going to declare your praises. That's, that's more than just lip service, which Peter hadn't been able to do prior to this time. It moved it into a mode where it was, I'm all in. And so I want to invite you this morning to consider what it means for you in your own life to, to, to walk that line. I want to ask you to consider in your own life what it means for you to humbly come before the Lord. And we're going to, I'm going to pray and, and just ask you in your heart, um, because the Lord is going on in our heart. Um, I'm going to ask you to take a moment with me and just say, Lord, is it, is it time for me to take an, the next step of obedience for you, to trust you, to entrust myself into your care? And I want to invite you as I pray um, to consider that in your own life. And as the worship team comes forward, we're going to sing some songs. I, I actually would love it if the neighbors like complained about how loud we were. Um, just no pressure there. But uh, I think it'd be awesome to continue to fill um, our community with the praise of the Lord. But Lord, we just come before you. And I, I thank you for the fact that you're in the redemption business that... This man, Peter, who is humbled in his own rebellion from you, uh, would ultimately in his life be able to pin the words that we've studied together today, that you're not just a hope, you're not just a option, you're not just, uh, Lord, that the empty tomb reminds us that you are our living hope. And so I pray for each and every soul that's here, every person here. Lord, I love that you know everything about us. Uh, when I tell my story of how embarrassed I am about the tent that blew away in my rebellion, I know that for every person, no matter what age they are, they understand what it means to have, have messed up, to press through when you knew that what you were doing was uh, against what was right or the right thing to do. And I just pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would begin accepting our need for you. And then, Lord, as our, as our king, 
when you ask us to cross the line of obedience, to entrust ourselves into your care, that for many of us, that, that step requires us to literally die to ourselves. It requires us to be willing to say, I'm not in control anymore. I'm, I'm sharing control. I'm, I'm passing off control to someone else. The, the God of the universe, the one that designed me, the one that knows me perfectly. And I will admit that that's one of the hardest things that a person can do. But when they understand who they're trusting with their, their lives with, that, uh, Lord, that there's no reason to even consider turning back. Lord, you're good. You know our needs more than what we do. Your, your understanding of us is perfect. And so I pray inside of each one of our hearts today that we would search our hearts we would ask you to reveal to us what it is that you want to do in our lives. And I pray for those of us who've been believers for a long time that today would be another reminder of what it means for us to take up our cross daily and follow you. For those who haven't placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't think of a better time to do it. Uh, on the, the morning that we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be able to anticipate our own physical resurrection. God, would you do it again in our lives? And so I pray with those individuals, Lord, would you allow us to understand what it means to be forgiven by the God who designed us, what it means for us to cry out to you and to say, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinful person, that I'm desperately in need of you. Would you tell us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. And so today, Lord, I just ask for that. I ask for that for, for people that have joined us today. And as we sing this, this declaration of praise, Lord, I ask that you would be lifted high as we continue to consider what it means to be people who live this side of an empty tomb. We love you. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Amen.